podcast. He's pop blocking and dropping it, just so everyone knows. No, now I'm now I'm pop blocking. He perfected salsas and now into this. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from the solemnly young, repentantly hip, and prayerfully lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hello. I, I don't feel very solemn, but... <laughs> But we are. So we are. We are solemn, repentant. Our hearts are solemn. And because it's Lent, what's on tap, Zach? Absolutely nothing. Do I have to say that every week? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's part of being solemn, Zach. (laughs) Right. So, yep. For Lent, we are not drinking. So day seven. (laughs) (laughs) Things are getting desperate. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But who are we talking to this week, Olga? Today, we're talking to Luigi Gioia, who's a professor at the Pontifical University of Sant'Anselmo in Rome, and he also is the author of Say It to God in Search of Prayer. So we're going to be talking to him about prayer and just getting really vulnerable in our relationships with God, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about in the past. We're not super, at least I'm not comfortable talking about prayer, but this, what about you guys? Well, we should note that this book is the official pick from the Archbishop of Canterbury. And so mm-hmm. there's this. For Lent. For Lent. For Lent. For Lent. Yeah. Yes. So the official Lent book, if you're looking for one. I read this and I was like, Archbishop of Canterbury. Nice choice. <laughs> I think I will read this for Lent too. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really great. I would recommend it to all our listeners. And you're going to want to read it after you hear this interview, I'm sure. Agreed. Um, but first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's first, Olga? So another update regarding uh, the handling of the sexual abuse crisis within the church. Um, we've been keeping you guys updated with uh, Pope Francis. Last month, he got a lot of criticism for the way he spoke about the victims. And after that, he sent Charles Secluna to Chile to meet with victims. Um, but before that, he stopped in New York and he met with Juan Carlos Cruz. Um, and then in Chile, he met with another survivor called James Hamilton. Um, and they're both, they both appear to be very hopeful. James Hamilton has said that I have no doubt that Monsignor Secluna is going to share with the Pope what is really happening in Chile. Mm-hmm. And, and Mr. Cruz also said that he really felt heard, which I think is very important because it, it did seem like after the Pope's trip to Chile that they did not feel heard mm-hmm. um, right. and they mm-hmm. felt kind of shut out. Uh, we also learned this week that the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, which was founded in 2014, but had lapsed last December. And then we were just kind of like waiting around for it to be, uh, you know, reconstituted. This week we learned that it has been reconstituted. Uh, it has 16 members, eight men, eight women. Uh, two of them are survivors uh, who have chosen to remain anonymous, but will be uh, giving their voices to that commission. So, Ashley, what exactly does the commission do? Okay, so a- actual individual cases of, of abuse go through the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Um, this commission was set up specifically as kind of like to educate uh, bishops' conferences and the head of religious orders about best practices to uh, prevent abuse and to, you know, uh, hold bishops or priests accountable for past instances of abuse. But I don't know. You guys have heard the expression like ki- died by committee. Uh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they had this big announcement about creating a website. I checked out the website today and there are a lot of pages that say this will be constantly updated. And there's like nothing on the page. Oh, no. Um, mm. And last year they announced that they were going to have a tribunal to hold a uh, 
uh, bishops accountable who had been negligent in dealing with abuse, and that tribunal still does not exist. So it seems to be moving slowly. So it's great that it's been reconstituted, but it would be nice to see some more concrete action. And in other Vatican news, Zach? Yes, Pope Francis is inviting 300 young people to the Vatican next month. Uh, Where's our invite? I'm still, I am. <laughs> I, I think am, it's in the mail, guys. Yeah, it maybe got <laughs> sure lost in the mail. Always the bridesmaid, never the br- <laughs> <laughs> I think those are two different. Yeah. Not the same thing. All right. <laughs> Uh, But he's inviting young people from all around the world to present their sort of their hopes and their uh, dreams and Mm -hmm. worries and concerns for the upcoming Synod on the Youth. And a former Jesuitical guest, Nicole Perrone, I believe, is one of the people where the mail actually came to her and she's going to go. Yeah, she got the mail. (laughs) She she RSVP'd yes. So um, hopefully she can provide Jesuitical with yeah. the inside scoop on what's mm-hmm. going on. Very good. What's our next story, Ashley? You got a little hometown. Yeah, from the Vatican Ooh. to Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark Arbeen uh, is a Catholic convert in Northern Virginia, and he is going to be the first chaplain to the U.S. Secret Service. Most law enforcement and federal agencies have a chaplain, which might be surprising because it's not like they're volunteering. Like, it's a position that, you know, is a public position. Mm-hmm. Right, um, so for even Congress has yeah, no, a chaplain. Yeah, so we, we visited the chaplain of Congress back in 2016. Is that mm-hmm. right, Zach? Yep. Yeah, and so they, you know, they are there as a resource. They don't, you know, they can come from a specific background, but they're supposed to provide, you know, spiritual support and counseling to anyone from any religion. So who wow. is he ministering to? Yeah. Uh, it's a secret, Zach. <laughs> I can't uh, tell you. <laughs> you guys. All right, what's next, Olga? So last week, the Senate failed to pass legislation that would secure protection for DREAMers who are here under the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA. And DACA is set to expire on March 5th. Um, So next week, U.S. bishops have declared uh, February 26th a national call-in day for DREAMers. They're encouraging all Catholics to call their members of Congress and urge them to take action for DREAMers. Yeah, so something I've used in the past is this app for the iPhone called Capital Call. Um, And once you fire that up, you type in your zip code, it uh, pulls up all of your uh, representatives and at the state, local, and federal level, um, and has their phone numbers super handy. And it even has like a little bit of like a cheat sheet on like what to expect mm. uh, when you call. All right, so no excuses. Everyone, call your congressperson. So what's next, Ashley? So last week, while we were recording, um, the there was the terrible uh, mass shooting at the high school in Parkland, Florida. Um, which fell on Ash Wednesday uh, and Valentine's Day. And I think some of, one of the most like iconic images to come out of that was a woman consoling someone else with her, the ashes on her on her forehead. Um, it's almost like an icon almost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I really, you know, we wanted to address this, even though it's a little bit late, because um, it seems like, you know, obviously it was random and it, that it happened on Ash Wednesday's terrible but it does raise questions about what our country should do in response in this in this spirit of repentance repentance um so i don't know how how did you guys react to this uh one of the things i've noticed is what feels different this time and is i think the 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 voice of the survivors is really coming through and i think that's because they're I think that's because they're all digital natives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they have been really finessing like platforms and media attention and like speaking up for themselves and like convincing 
Congress people to like pass legislation so they don't get like killed for going to school. Um, so I, that's been encouraging, mm-hmm. but also like, because they're like speaking up for themselves, you also have people like attacking like these kid advocates who are just like mm-hmm. begging for their lives. Um, yeah. And so that has been also somewhat uh, depressing as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, Zach. It's been, it, it was a little shocking at first to see the way that all of these students were sharing what they were going through on social media. Um, but they've reacted in a way that a lot of adults our age might not even be able to do, you know? So it's it's been, it's been really encouraging to see just the student response following something so tragic. It does feel like we're, I mean, we'll see. It's still, I mean, recording this on Wednesday. I mean, who knows what'll happen in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like there's somewhat of a Kairos moment. Uh, like uh, things feel ripe for changing. So this is obviously something we're thinking about, praying about. Um, and listeners, uh, we want to hear your perspective. So please, you know, let us know. Uh, you can email us or tweet us. Uh, and uh, we will be talking about this more, I'm sure. Today, we're talking with Luigi Gioia, a professor at the Pontifical University of Sant'Anselmo in Rome and author of Say It to God in Search of Prayer. Welcome to Jesuitical, Luigi. Um, hello. <laughs> Lovely to be here. <laughs> so yeah. good to have you. Yeah, we're very, very excited. Um, so this is the first official book of Lent. The Archbishop of Canterbury selected it as the Lent book of 2018. Yes. What did you want to do with this opportunity? Well, I suppose that um, the first thing I like about it is that uh, it is a book written by a a Roman Catholic, and it has been recommended by the head of the Anglican Church. Was that a Uh, surprise? Did you know that was coming? No, I didn't. So I I was obviously told a few months ago, um, but before then I had no idea. So I gave the book to my publisher um, over a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. The book should should have been out um, almost a year ago. Uh, but then because it was chosen by the Archbishop, the publishing was delayed by another six or eight months. Um, so that, uh, But it came quite as a big surprise. Do you know um, why he chose it? Um, he liked think, it, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> it is an immensely surprised. deep, profound book <laughs> written by a very interesting person. <laughs> no, the, um, there are several reasons, I think. Uh, one is that um, Justin, Justin Welby is um, his name, he is a very sympathetic towards Catholicism. Uh, so he would say about himself that he, um, he has a, um, a Jesuit spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, And I remember being at a gathering with a lot of evangelicals who know very little about Catholicism. And he spoke there and he said um, that, you know, I follow the Jesuit spirituality and nobody understanding what that meant. (laughs) Uh, So, and I had to explain this to a lot of people. Um, His wife um, uh, preaches uh, retreats um, with the Jesuit spirituality. Then they are very close to a community called Chemin Neuf as a French community, uh, charismatic. Catholic community. And when Justin moved into Lambeth Palace, um, which is a huge um, residence in the centre of London, 
he found that it was too big just for him and his wife. <laughs> there are you know a dozens and dozens of rooms. So he asked the community of Schumendorf to come and live with him. Mm-hmm. So the community sent um, three or four brothers and three or four sisters. I don't remember the numbers now, and they live and pray with him. So it is like having a uh, almost Roman Catholic um, community. Mm-hmm. There are some non-Catholics in that community, but by and large, it is a Catholic community living with him and praying with him. Mm. So what did that mean to you to have uh, the sort of ecumenical uh, dimension to the book? Well, I suppose that um, I think that to be Catholic uh, is this ability to acknowledge and and value beauty and truth wherever they can be they can be found outside the small institutional c sorry <laughs> small c catholic small c catholic exactly but i think it's small c but it is a bigger c than the <laughs> big c in the sense of the capital c <laughs> because i think that this is what is um catholic being about i mean the um the great missionaries like you know the jesuits went to china or wherever uh, the first thing they do is trying to find what is beautiful and what is true in the culture there and they use it as a basis for evangelization um so this is um being a catholic means being truly persuaded that God is active everywhere because God w- wants everyone to be saved, is active everywhere. And if he's active everywhere, even in the secular culture, even when you have the impression that God is not there, is not acting, um, if you really believe that, then you look for the signs of God's presence and action um, everywhere. So this is to be Catholic for me. And, um, and Justin, in this sense, has been truly Catholic in the sense of promoting something which has been written by someone who is not uh, doesn't belong to his institutional um, church, um, and that's something that really makes me proud about it. Mm. But you're you're not a Jesuit; you're a Benedictine, yes, right? Yes. So, are there elements of both of those traditions in the book, or would you? Yeah, how would you describe the spiritual grounding? The of spiritual the book? grounding. Um, in terms of the Jesuit spirituality, I would say that certainly um, a lot of insistence on freedom uh, in the second half of the book um, is something which I learned thanks to the Jesuit spirituality. I've had over the years in a monastery where I was in France uh, several preachers coming, um, and there was one in particular, a Jesuit, uh, called Père Laplace was uh, almost 90 at the time. It was an incredible preacher, wonderful one. And the whole retreat he preached was about freedom according to Jesuit spirituality. So this is one of the elements. The Benedictine one, I suppose um, the book is made essentially uh, by quotations of the Psalms. Uh, The Benedictine pray seven times a day in common, and they use the psalms. The psalms are really the um, the material of the prayer. Um, so it is something which, over the years, I've been a monk for thirty years now. Something which has become part of myself, so part of my language. So when I try to express some things, the quotations of the psalms come um, spontaneously to my mind. Uh, and this, I would say, is one of the elements of um, the Benedictine spirituality, which is filtered through in this book. So why uh, should someone? pick this book up for Lent, whether they be the Archbishop of Canterbury or maybe a 20-year-old or in New York? What? Uh, why is now a good time? Well, because if you remember on Ash Wednesday, we read this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, and there are three elements Jesus um, stresses when it comes to um, the right attitude of a Christian uh, is a certain way of, uh, of um, uh, fasting, a certain way of uh, doing charity, and a certain way of praying. 
Lent should be about certainly uh, renewing a sense of what is important, what is essential, and hence the meaning of fasting, is uh, a time of renewing our concern for other people, for each other, hence the element of charity. But it is also a moment um, to renew our commitment um, in our relationship with God. Um, a time of discovering that even in the desert, even when we think that we are uh, left to ourselves, God is the one who, whose presence becomes even more evident during those times. And prayer is, to me, fundamentally, essentially, the discovery of this presence of God in us and in our lives, uh, is this ability we, um, that increases, really, the more we pray, to see him everywhere. Uh, hence, I think, yes, for Lent is one of the, uh, is very important because it focuses exactly on one of the pillars mm. of the period of Lent. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things I found really interesting about the book, Luigi, is the fact that you... I often find like spiritual writing to be like overly pious and I, I struggle with it. And I felt like this, you very much rooted in like, you just said God is present. And like, even in those moments when we're dealing with frustration, when we're dealing with things like lust that you think God is present, even in those moments. So yes. were there certain kind of notions of, or like stereotypes that people have about spiritual writing that you were trying to dispel in writing this book? Or even prayer itself. It yeah, seems like you were sort itself. of like trying to tear down all these notions of prayer that people have. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I was asked to write this book by people who don't have time to pray. Professionals who live in London, um, in London, very much like New York, is a city where everyone runs all the time. I mean, that's uh, um, and um, and so how do you pray when you don't have time to pray? When there is no silence, there is always noise around you. Um, and when there is no special setting, I mean, there is no church, there is no place where you can go and have a feeling that because this place is a church, God should be present in a special way. And the argument is that most of the time, one of the reasons why we don't pray is because we think that the only way we can do it is um, having the ideal conditions, ideal conditions in terms of silence, in terms of time, and in terms of setting. <laughs> um, so the... The, the major inspiration of the book was precisely this, that, and this is a very personal thing, is that I find that I can pray absolutely everywhere. So even walking, you know, in the busy um, avenues of America just <laughs> now where people are pushing and running <laughs> and, and honking of the cars and so on. Um, I say a lot of words when that happens, but I don't think their prayers necessarily. <laughs> prayers necessarily <laughs> would come spontaneously to your mind. Not yes, ones I mean, you would say to God. <laughs> uh, although even saying those words to God, I think is <laughs> part of what I say prayer is yes. about. But we can talk about that in a moment. Um, but, you know, it's, the thing is that when you develop this habit of talking to God, like you would talk to someone who is with you, walking by you, uh, and sharing with him or with her whatever uh, really comes to your mind, in a sense, uh, whatever is important for you, or whatever frustrates you, or whatever makes you rejoice, is the essence of uh, prayer. Prayer is really talking to someone who is there and he's infinitely deeply interested in everything that happens in our lives. It's interesting you say that because like Olga, I don't generally like spiritual writing, but I really did uh, like your book. And for me, it was because you kind of, it doesn't seem like you buy the excuse that it's just a matter of time. Like you specifically say like, we can just be lazy or maybe even afraid of what we will find if we go into prayer very deeply. So, you know, it's not a matter of time. Sometimes you really just 
don't want to pray and avoid it. And I find that to be my own experience. So I feel like your book was like a nice kick in the butt. To just be like, <laughs> okay, probably I want, say, I want to say two things. Um, you probably, you, you'll find both of them consoling. Um, the first one is that I too um, don't like spiritual writings. Had someone told me that one day I would have written a book on prayer or a spiritual book, I would have said I would have I would have hoped that this was not true because I really I've never found this kind of literature inspiring. I find it very difficult to read most of those books, with very very few exceptions. Uh, and the second thing is that when you say about um, the difficulty of prayer, the laziness um, when it comes to praying, or even more this feeling that when a time comes to pray, I've always more important things to do, more pressing things to do, is something which I experience all the time. So even if um, I can genuinely say that prayer has been the most important thing in my life for the past, whatever, since I remember, I mean, since I converted again to Catholicism when I was 16, um, immediately prayer became the core or my uh, or my faith and my or my life uh, but you never reach a point in which prayer becomes something that uh, you go to totally spontaneously and and freely there's always some resistance in us about it mm. um, and it is um, it is a bit like going to the gym I don't know if you have this experience um, I, <laughs> nope, I, def- I don't already <laughs> I don't go to the gym <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the thing about the gym is that which I find is that deciding to go there and going there is always painful, difficult. I always think, oh my God, I want to do something else. And so yeah. Once I'm there, then I start to do the exercises and I immerse myself into it. I like it. Um, and with prayer often is the same thing, um, is that um, stopping, that's a thing, difficult thing. And uh, uh, even for one moment, even uh, without changing your setting, if you're working in your office and, and decide, well, for one moment, I'm just, you know, close my eyes and, and say something to God. Well, paradoxically, even if this is so easy, it's something which um, we don't have the reflex of doing, uh, and there is a lot of resistance in us to it. But the moment we do it, we realize immediately, oh my God, I need it so much. And it gives me so much peace straight away. And it enables me uh, immediately to put a name onto whatever is um, is d- is the dominant feeling in my heart at this moment and transforming it into something which is beautiful, um, that is a prayer, something which I say to God. So it's something that we you know find a lot of peace in and need. So it, and you write that it's something that humans both really need and it's something that we as you said we naturally shy away from yes. so why is yeah. god why is god giving us this catch 22 where um, I suppose that uh, this is part of being in relation with someone we cannot see, we cannot hear. I've never seen God. Uh, you might have. Uh, if you have, please tell me because I really, I die. I want to know if he has a beard. I mean, there's one of the things. Do you think... Did Jesus always want to pray or did he also have this rebellious heart that sometimes resisted prayer? Um, did he share that with humans? I'm trying to think whether um, in his life, he seemed to be, to like prayer a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. the, that's the thing. So the, um, the evidence So like I us and everything except for sin and not wanting to And not wanting, <laughs> not wanting to pray. Um, yeah, yeah. I suppose that mm, for me, 
there are a lot of times in which I go to prayer really with joy and I feel a desire for it. Um, um, and a lot of times in which, as I said, uh, it is difficult. And probably for Jesus, uh, the fact of not, I mean, when we say he didn't commit sin, what does it mean? It means that there was no obstacle in his relation to the Father. There was nothing that really uh, would prevent him from from feeling constantly that this was something beautiful and and desirable. Whereas for us, probably one of the consequences of what we call sin is that we we are blind or we become blind um, or insensitive uh, to what we want most, to what we desire most, to what is going to give us the most or the greatest or the deepest peace and joy. Um, and that's one of the sad elements of our situation as human beings. And hence the necessity to to always be so why a lot of people have asked me why another book about prayer? There are hundreds of books about prayer. But in a sense, we have never been encouraged enough or definitely to pray. We need constantly to be encouraged again um, from a variety of viewpoints, uh, from a number of, um, of witnesses and testimonies, um, um, because we constantly have to overcome this resistance, unfortunately, we have in us. Yeah, and it. one thing I liked about your book is it was very much based in the Gospels, or actually Psalms and Gospels. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't like you were trying to recreate something that we don't already have access to, but just like approaching it in a different way. Um, and one thing you talk about is the difference between like prayers and prayer. Yes. Can you, can you describe what you mean by that difference? We need prayers. We need prayers. When I talk about prayers, the Psalms are prayers. Uh, the liturgy, I mean, the liturgy... I don't want to flatten the theological distinctions. I teach systematic theology. I taught liturgy for many years. So um, I don't want to, there are, when you talk to theologians or liturgists, they will be very kind of um, worried that you uh, <laughs> don't uh, um, appreciate the importance of the Mass, of the Eucharist, of the Psalms, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, we, uh, if you're listening, you can skip ahead for the, like 45 seconds. Yes. Th theologians and liturgists. <laughs> yeah. So they're not listening anymore. They're so. not listening anymore. Thank God. God. Thank God. <laughs> because they are so difficult. Um, do you know the difference between a terrorist and a liturgist? You can negotiate with a terrorist. So that's um, but um, but yeah, prayers are um, those um, uh, texts which we receive from the tradition, uh, from scripture, like the Psalms, um, or from the life of the saints or from the church. And they are very important because by learning these words and by repeating them, we receive a framework that teaches us in which way to address God. But if the whole of our relationship with him was confined to texts we receive from others, um, it would be very much like talking to someone who is a friend only through um, preconceived formulas, never talking spontaneously to someone. And as we know, a friendship cannot thrive unless I, I, I go through the risk of being tentative um, through uh, talking spontaneously. So when I talk about prayer, the difference between prayers and prayer, prayer for me is the spontaneous mode of a relationship with God. Um, and it is 
uh, a difficult or can be more difficult because um, uh, whenever you talk spontaneously, you make yourself more vulnerable, you expose yourself more. And, and this can be something a lot of people find difficult um, because they have this idea of God as being like this king or like this, this being that is so formidable and so that you have to approach him uh, only uh, um, through formalized ways. Um, and having access to or going deeper into spiritual life is precisely this, uh, coming to the realization um, that God is this father uh, or this friend or this brother who really um, wants to be close to us. Uh, Augustine says he's closer to us than we ourselves are. And, and wants to share with us the whole of our life, our lives, and that there is nothing trivial, trivial for God. There is nothing of the aspects of our life, even the, 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 the smallest details which we cannot turn into prayer the moment we say to them, to, to, to God. One of my favorite lines in the book is something like, uh, our prayers can be like far too spiritual and they're asphyxiated yes. by uh, good manners. Good manners. <laughs> good manners. What are so like? Is that what you're talking about? Do you curse good... at God? <laughs> <laughs> Can we curse at God? Do you Even curse we're at angry? God? Yeah. Um, I express my frustration to God very uh, openly and very honestly. So sometimes I really tell him, "You are hopeless." <laughs> I've, I've done it in prayer. Uh, oh, really? I don't get you. Or. Oh, really, God? I mean, you know, I'd really do that because if I feel it, why should I not tell him this? And we have main great examples in scripture. I mean, we have Job. Job mm -hmm. is the, the guy who cursed the day he was born and, and fence all his frustration to God. Or um, Jeremiah does, does the same thing. Or even Jesus. I mean, Jesus, when he's in, um, in, in the cross, um, says to God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Which uh, can be seen as the greatest blasphemy in history. But God is big enough to take in everything. And um, what makes the difference between a blasphemy, a curse, and a prayer is that a blasphemy is something we say about God. A curse is something we say about a God in whom we don't really a God we, we don't really trust, in whom we don't really believe. Uh, a prayer is, whatever, however hard the content can be, uh, something because becomes a prayer the moment we say it to him, um, the moment he's part of a relationship. Um, so you're in the U.S. now, uh, and every time there's a tragic event in this country, we seem to get into this big fight about yes. uh thoughts and prayers giving yes. your thoughts and prayers um for the victims of a school shooting or yes. another event H how do you feel about that kind of very public display of prayer is is there a place for that uh is that the wrong way to approach prayer if you were if you were in the u.s would you like tweet your thoughts and prayers to people in tragedies I tend to think that there is never a wrong way of praying uh the moment we pray in the sense of uh, calling God into the picture, especially when we are confronted with the unsayable, with the, uh, the beyond horrible, 
these are the moments in which referring to God in whichever way, even if it is a very secular way of doing it, is a way of acknowledging that this is something beyond us. This is something which cannot understand. And it is also, it creates immediately a community because referring to God in these occasions and saying thoughts and prayers can seem or can look very formal. But um, most of the time when I hear it, is um, it sounds to me as people saying, look, I don't know what to say about that. Um, so the only thing I can say to you now is that I hope whether uh, my belief in this is strong or weak, that there is some, some reality, some being, something that can help us all together to, um, to make sense of this or to um, cope with this. So I would never despise these thoughts and prayers. I would wish, certainly, that this was much a much deeper uh, feeling, uh, uh, a much truer prayer. And if it was a, a truer prayer, it would never be just thoughts and prayers, but we thoughts and prayers that become action. Um, so, Without saying, um, I don't want to hear of that, I would say, let's hear more, but more in terms of something that becomes reality. I guess the thing that I struggle with is that, as you say, things that don't sound like prayers can be prayers. Yes. Conversely, things that sound like prayers could yes. not be prayer, yes. theoretically, right? And so yeah. th when people when people in power, in powerful positions, say things just like, uh, knee-jerk thoughts and prayers, it, it, it can seem like a temptation to cynicism rather yes. than actual engagement with yes. with any God. Yes. Um, well, if it is actively a way of shying away from the issue, of just being purely formal uh, about it, um, if it comes from a heart that has no real compassion for uh, the situation or the person, then in this case, it is true that it's something horrible, can be horrible. But the problem is that we can never, we don't know what is in the heart of people. So even when... Much, as I, much as I wish I could. Oh, no. <laughs> and pretend to. And, and <laughs> I do pretend, yeah. But even when this sentence comes from someone I disagree with, 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 with politically, still, I don't want to judge his intention. I, what I will say to him or to her is that thank you for this, but um, if it is real, it should go further. It should become something more than just saying, you know, thoughts and prayer. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Luigi. This has been really, really great. We've got one final question for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be and why? Oh, dear. This is a difficult question. Um, I would... I don't have a name, but I would look for someone who is not religious, uh, is not overtly Christian, uh, someone who does what he does because... Um, is um, he thinks that uh, or believes uh, in humanity, uh, is compassionate, and is sensitive to the needs of people. Uh, I look out for these people um, because I think that religious people very often um, can use their religion as a as a as an alibi, as a coat, as a protection, as something that that gives them a sense of being just, just because they are religious. Whereas I find that a lot of people who are not overtly religious often try harder, much harder, um, because they rely on doing the right thing to think of themselves that they are um, 
the right person or, or, or good persons. Um, and I want to learn from uh, a secular culture. We are too tempted very often in our religious world to despise it or to be at war with it, uh, not want to listen to it. Um, I think we should engage with it. So Saint Secular Humanist. Saint Nuns. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. With discernment, obviously. Always, of course. But yes. All right. Luigi, thanks so much for Thank joining us. Thank you for us. joining us. Thanks. And Pleasure. the name of the book is Say It to God. Uh, where can people find it? Amazon? Uh, Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Say, yeah. Say yes. it to God. And it's the official prayer book for the Archbishop of Canterbury for his Lenten practice. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. It was a pleasure. Listeners, have you ever heard one of our interviews and been like, man, sounds like there is some great stuff, like maybe Zach's jokes, cut out of the- <laughs> Left uh, on the chopping block. Left in, uh, left in the editing room floor. Well, do I have a special surprise for you. Uh, we're starting a Patreon page. Uh, we've been so What's great- What's Patreon? Patreon is a platform where uh, there will be a link in our show notes uh, where you can pledge a uh, monthly donation um, to get- extra access, and also support the show. Mm -hmm. So we've been really blessed and grateful to get this thing off the ground, uh, but we need your help to keep it going. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to make this mutually beneficial. And so we've been recording uh, via video our interviews, and so we're going to be posting those on our Patreon page. So if you give $5 a month or more, you can, you're going to get uh, access to that and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, like uh, a monthly chat with your... Dear host. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, some Jesuitical swag, too. Mm -hmm. Yep. So check out the Patreon page. Please support us. We love you. Our Jesuit overlords can only be so benevolent. <laughs> yes, <it's true>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get into some listener feedback? Yes. Uh, so we got a bunch of good emails this week. Uh, one that I really liked was from Daniel Harris, who listened to our episode last week with the two of the hosts from Unorthodox, a Jewish podcast produced by Tablet. Um, and he was listening to this uh, with great interest because he comes from a family where, like, Five out of six of his aunts and uncles are in Catholic Jewish marriages, which wow. is just like crazy. Yeah. So he has a bunch of Jewish cousins, um, and he said listening to our show made him really want to like reach out to them and talk to them about like what you know the differences and similarities between their faith traditions. Yeah, Daniel, I want to hear about how that goes. Yeah, when you, yeah. When you do that. <laughs> Please write us back, <laughs> or maybe record those conversations. Yeah, definitely. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. Um, along with what Unorthodox asked us to give up last week for Lent, um, I've also decided that I'm going to take my prayer life much more seriously this Lent. So I'm going to pray every day, like during the workday, when I get home, when I'm leaving. Um, and normally I struggle to kind of maintain this consistency because I'm always like, I mentioned this on previous episodes, but I'm always like, you have to pray correctly. You have to have the right music. You have, have to be in the right mood. You have to be in a meditative state and all of these things. And I was like, you know what? You got to throw all that BS out the window. Um, and I've, <laughs> I've really just kind of been focused on just talking to God and being present and not performing. I, I don't know why I have this idea that like my prayer life has to look a certain way or my faith has to be performed a certain way. So for Lent, I'm just 
immersing myself in being with God. And I've like been doing the examine uh, with Father James Martin, which we've also mentioned. Um, and also Pray As You Go, which is a devotional daily prayer app. And oh, I love that one. I can do it on my walk to the train. And it's just been, it's been consoling to be in that state of mind before and after work. So that's my consolation. It's only been a week. It might change but toward the end of Lent. But <laughs> for now. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have, Zach? This week I have a desolation. I found out uh, last week that my cousin who I'm really close with uh, is getting deployed to Iraq um, was not something super expected and it's not something uh, I know a ton about. Um, and so there's this very strong feeling of uh, lack of control. Um, and so really the only response in prayer then is to totally trust and surrender that to God. And And I know that rationally, but that's... I know that's where I'm supposed to be and I'm not there yet because I don't want to feel that necessarily. I don't really want to hand any of that over. Um, and so the desolation is knowing where uh, God is leading me and I'm not ready to go yet. Um, but I mean, I think that might be the first step is knowing, having the desire to, um, but that's what's been desolating this past week. Yeah. yeah. Ashley, how about you? Oh, we've got a lot of prayerful consolations and desolations. We Must should be the season. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I have a consolation, which might it, when I say it, it might not sound like a consolation. But uh, I was I was starting to read uh, the book by our guest this week, uh, Luigi Gioia. Did I get it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, say it to God, and I find myself like crying at my desk, uh, and. I guess it kind of hit me that I had uh, had some events and relationships in my life that had been kind of building up this sadness that I really had not taken to prayer um, and felt like I could not take to prayer. Uh, and the language is in this book just really spoke to me. It was, it was, you know, as I said in the interview, it was very, you know, direct and um, simple. And so, you know, I had to leave the office and just <laughs> walk down Sixth Avenue crying for a while. But I, and I've done that before, but this was the first time where I actually like felt God's presence in, in that sadness and felt like I was, you know, in that, in my sadness with God, it was something I could share with him. Um, in just like a very raw, real way. Um, so that was, that was consoling, even though it was sad, it was, <laughs> it was consoling. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Luigi. <laughs> and it got you to step away from your desk. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> All right. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering by Angelo Jesus Canta. Adverbs provided by Kari Nelson. Our new logo is by also by Angelo Jesus Canta. And you can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Scott Pichard and Zag95. And this week, find us on Patreon. And finally, send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.